0: The Pro Tools Expert Podcast with Russ Hughes, Julian Rogers and Alan Salabank. Well, good evening and welcome to Pro Tools Expert Podcast number 326. It's the 2nd of July 2018. I'm Russ Hughes. I'm Julian Rogers. And I'm Alan Salabank. Guys, we're all in the UK. Are you all heat waved at the moment? Like we, are. In Northern Ireland, we have this hot thing in the sky. We don't normally have, and we've had it for five weeks solid. Uh, are you
1: experiencing the same heat wave? It's really nice where I am. It's not. It's been cooler on the east side of the country, so we haven't been getting those nasty, super hot things. And, and we're not on fire like uh, like like Mike seems to be, or we're well, not personally. Well, but uh, where he lives
2: is on fire. So. On fire. Yeah. Al, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's it down in the west? Um. Yeah. No. It's very nice. There's a, a brisk onshore breeze, which is refreshing during the sort of uh, high twenties. But uh, yeah, there was a great um, spoof article in one of those spoof uh, newspaper websites. I think it was Northumberland G- G- Northumberland Gazette or something like that, which was a uh, Northumberland man taken to hospital with vitamin D overdose.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, but I was just reading a bit. There's a stupid BBC thing app on their website at the moment where you can put in where you are, and it tells you where, where, in, the, where in the world you are hotter than right now. And it's like Barbados and Jamaica. And I'm thinking, what a stupid idea. Who'd, who'd rather be
2: in Bangor County, Dan, than Jamaica or <laughs> Adelaide and, and <laughs> but, Wellington, know, my, New my, Zealand? My wife's Mediterranean, and so she's been absolutely adoring this recent heat wave, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and uh, but we we've got friends who have a place down in Portugal, and it's twenty degrees down in Portugal at the moment. Nice. So yeah. it's it's much much colder than that, uh, here. So it's it's all flipped on its head a bit. Which yes, uh, we're I'm doing sure to turn that. that I've thing I've just that turned British off my aircon
0: do. so that Julian doesn't have to rx my entire audio this week it blows straight onto my microphone, uh, superior microphone as it is, which we'll talk about later on in the show. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> let's go to some deals. Our friends at Audio Deluxe have an exclusive deal offering 30% off Z Plane's Retune. Uh, they've teamed up with them to do this exclusive, so you can only get it through Audio Deluxe, but all the information is on the site. Retune takes an interesting approach to tuning as, as well as being uh, a plug-in capable of pitch correction and quantize and all sorts of stuff like that and it also offers a retuning matrix which is quite cool and there's a nice little video by eli from logic pro expert on the story so check the link in the story this week and uh, yeah don't uh, don't don't hang around it's 30 percent off till the end of the month of course don't forget to check out the rest of the deals from our partners on our deals page let's get on some talking points these are sponsored by our friends at universal audio over to you fab Good morning, children. This is Fab Dupont. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast. Talking Points are brought to you with the support of Universal Audio.
1: Do your vocal recordings need more shine? Are you in the market for a new audio interface? Well, if the answer to those questions is yes, now could be a very good time to buy a Universal Audio Apollo Twin as part of UA's new Apollo Twin Platinum Vocal Promotion. Buy an Apollo Twin Mark II solo and get Antares Auto-Tune real-time free. Buy an Apollo Twin Mark II Duo or USB and get Antares Autotune and the Manly Voxbox plugins free, or buy an Apollo Twin Mark II quad and get Antares Autotune, Manly Voxbox, and Pure Plate Reverb all for free. You can find out more about this and other deals the Universal Audio team are running by visiting uaudio.com or by clicking the link in the podcast notes. Right then. I don't know where to go with this, but we're just going to have to go ahead
0: first, I think. Like Martin Luther nailing his papers to the church door and his thesis, <laughs> Julian decided in in equally sacrilegious manner to decide the other week to tell us that the SM57 and its cousin, brother, mother, we don't know what, we haven't got to the bottom of that yet. We might discuss that during the discussion, are overrated. Uh, and to which... <laughs> Which coffee was spat? Uh And uh, Not over here? Uh, well, no, Alan. I think he's got to. It's two. I think this is two. It was the worst night for me to join this discussion because I think it's two against one. But Julian, uh, Julian, could, 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 let's just qualify this. What? What do you yeah, mean yeah, that the, yeah. the, the one of the mainstays of music production and one of the mainstays of radio stations and voiceover announcers uh, is overrated? Let's just. Let's just. Just get get this skunk on the table, shall we?
1: Sorry, I can I can just I can just feel the heat from the internet f- on fire at the moment from there. Uh, no, yes, this. No, I think is, we're going to is, get letters from Tunbridge tonight. <laughs> this is audio heresy. I understand, but what it what it was was it's really careful what I said specifically, and you quoted me right. Was I said that they were overrated? I never said they weren't good because they're both perfectly mm. acceptable microphones. I'm I not going to go as saying lower as you. Actually. I'm not going to say that, that people who use them are wrong or anything like that. What it's what I was saying was that people – it's almost like a kind of a given, and I've heard this from so many people, and so much of it's kind of repeated. I've heard it from people who've actually got pretty limited experience of both of these mics, and there are people out there with limited experience of SM57s, believe it or not, of um, of just uh, talking as if they're the magic microphone that makes everything perfect and, you know, will spread world peace or something, and it's kind of like, it's a mic, that's all, and it's Okay. I'll take the SM57 as an example. I mean, it's—I I really, really push back quite hard against this kind of almost. Uh, what are you doing if you don't put an SM57 on a guitar cabinet or on a snare drum? I've even joked before that other microphones are capable of hearing this snare drum and will record a signal. It's kind of like it's—you know—I have been in circles where it's just almost, almost heretic to to not use an SM57, and SM57s—it's all right it's it's a it's an inexpensive, very durable dynamic microphone that's got a bit of a sort of you know not too much bottom end response. It rolls off quite well at the bottom in quite a smooth way and it's got a bit of a peak in the upper mids and If you've got something that you want to bring out the upper mids on it's it's quite a sensible choice but that's as far as I'm going with it <laughs> i mean it happens to suit some sources reasonably well, but I don't own an sm fifty seven um, I'm not planning mm. on getting one. And on sessions that I've done, tracking sessions where I've had 57s available, I've tended to avoid them just because in either of those, or well, any of those sm 57 E kind of applications, there's always something I'd kind of rather use instead. And I'm not close to it, and if it does sound better, I'm you know prepared to be honest with myself about it and go, okay, on that, that's actually working pretty well. But, yeah, Um there are other places I go first, on a guitar cabinet or a, uh, or a, or a snare drum. There, I've said it, um, I'll now go off and... We'll just... talk about your alternatives in a while, but, but I think Alan <laughs> will
0: extend this now because I think there's also a voiceover mic article that we put out from time to time back, which is the best. And Alan, I think you're quite vocal, excuse the turn of phrase there, about, about the, the, the amount of SM7s that are in use out there.
2: Well, I mean, Julian's caveat at the beginning of his part was pretty much exactly what I was going to say. So it's not so much about the fact that it's not a good mic. Um, I have to say, from a post production perspective, it's um, it's not certainly no magic bullet, and it's it doesn't produce the best sound that I could imagine could be captured from that particular source. So by that I mean. I don't necessarily think that um, the SM7B's suitability for everybody is as wide as is eulogised, particularly by you know, and also by distributors who say you know, get the same mic as used on national radio, get the same mic as you saw on episodes of Frasier. You know, it's it's that sort of. Thing and you know the absurd thing also with Fraser is that that all the all the voiceover sound you heard on that would not have been caught on the mic that was in shot. I'm so, sure the mic that was in shot was an RE20 on Fraser. Yeah, well, it's, again, it, it, but it's a lookalike. That's the thing. You can say, you know, these are radio presenter. This this you should be using this type of microphone. And you know, it, it's the thing. It's it, you know, you if you walk into a, stu- a facility which does voiceovers day in, day out, and you see a U87 there, then you feel sort of reassured. However, I mean, I've had some artists sound absolutely terrible on a uh, U87. They've been found sound much better on a KM86 or even an AKG C451, um, or even an MKH-40, which is actually a location microphone. So it's I think people have this sort of tendency to sort of yeah as you say create this sort of religion about certain iconic models of microphone desk brands even you know so I mean Russ you probably remember you know back in the 90s in the music in the large format music studio world if you didn't have an SSL you weren't anybody really were you so Uh, it's that sort of thing yeah, okay. Right, I'm going to start. Okay, let me I'm going to for the other
0: <laughs> other side here. Uh I in fact I'll go backwards. I'll start with with voiceover mics first and stuff. Uh, what I love about this M7 which you are hearing now is that a lot of voiceovers, I think sound overhyped. They sound very toppy, very sibilant at times. Uh and uh they what you're hearing often when people use other mics, uh, some of you have mentioned, uh, perhaps it's just the way they mix them, but they don't really sound like the human voice. They sound like a human voice on steroids, or that's been shined with two with, within one inch of its life, uh, almost like a sort of Tandy uh, graphics curve on it afterwards. But it's so. I think that's one of the reasons I love an SM7 is that I can stick one down and not do anything with it. And it gives you a great voice sound. Uh, and of course, being a dynamic as well, it's suppression of stuff. It's rejection, sorry, of crap around you. Uh, means that it, it's it's not very uh, temperamental when it comes to the space it's sitting in, uh, which is a good thing. And I suppose coming then onto the SM57, that's the same kind of thing. If you think about SM57s, Julian, they're often stuck on snare drums in live applications. uh, and I know that, I think James uses fifty eights when he's interviewing people at places like Nam, where where you're trying to do a, an interview with somebody in a cattle market. Uh, so I think
2: uh, well, that's that's for close mic t- situations though as well. You are relying on the proximity of the microphone for noise yeah. rejection. Yeah. So I mean, as I demonstrated when I demonstrated the did the, the review of the clip mic from Rode it was sixty pounds. Yeah. You know, that has superior noise rejection when used at the same distance from the vocal, you know, than um, an SM58 clone. So it, it's, again, it, it's talking about, you know, there is no magic bullet. As you say, it is a very flexible microphone. Yeah, you can have reasonable confidence that um, you, you can set it up and there will be an acceptable sound that comes from it straight out the box. However, that's you, 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 you sometimes get this situation where um, you, know, you have that 1% of voiceover artists who come in and sound absolutely awful on it. And if you, haven't, if you haven't got a backup plan, if you haven't got an alternative to hand, then you're a bit stuck.
0: Oh, I agree. Totally. But, but the idea that, that, that Julian's point is they're overrated. Uh, I'm coming back to SM57. Surely, Julian, the great thing about an SM57, and you worked in education for several years, is they are almost idiot-proof, aren't they? You can't – okay, somebody can make – there is somebody out there, as they say, uh, when you say things are idiot-proof, they always make better idiots. That was the old joke people (laughs) used to say. (laughs) Yeah. but what I'm saying is that it's it's quite hard to get a bad sound off an SM57 on a guitar cab or a snare drum or or, or even an acoustic guitar.
1: I suppose. Oh, I, 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 yeah, no, okay. it can be done. You're going to fight me on that. <laughs> it can. No, I mean there are there are some there are some you know. What I'm saying it's
0: less it's less uh, what's the word? It's it's less temperamental to to poor application, and perhaps that's why people like them.
1: Hmm. Yeah. The thing that some um, kind of uh, I'd say is is its best feature is the way it rolls off because um, it it really does roll off quite gently at the bottom end and that's helpful, um, especially with people got a sort of tendency to to go in as close as they possibly can and you can end up with a bit of proximity trouble and yeah it doesn't do that too bad, um, it's but- it's the peak really that bothers me just because it's it's. Absolutely great if that's something you need to accentuate. But so many of these sources I think are already a bit hot in that region anyway. And it's this kind of thing about putting it's it's, it's I, I'm I'm always suspicious of uh, anyone who an, anything that's proposed as being a standard practice because I'm I'm not really down with the idea of a standard practice on things like mic choice and application. It's just kinda of like, no, things sound different and there isn't um an accept. Ex- it's it's helpful to discourage the idea that um, one choice is going to is going to be right more than I think it realistically is. That's all. That's all. But don't
0: you think? Can I say? Don't you think that, that, that in terms of an application situation, which I don't think anybody suggests it's going to be right every time, but what people are suggesting is it's a good starting point. Now you can't
1: you can't say that's a bad thing no it's it's not a bad thing as a starting point, and I suppose what i 'm objecting to is the idea that a starting point is a starting point which can then be changed and i've I've come across so many conversations where this is Nesson fifty seven it's it's the correct and it's like oh oh hang on hang on it's it's a it's a candidate, but no more so you don't think I should buy eighty to do the london symphony orchestra <laughs> i've there is there's a video that I used to use when I was teaching it was um i forget what his name was um he was uh uh, a Nashville engineer and he did this great video and it was uh with with just like a pro band coming in recording a track and he did one with his just, you know choice of his uh, the mics he had available and lots of kind of things some of which were quite expensive but using whatever he would like to use and then he repeated the recording using nothing but SM57s and it sounded very good absolutely covered it no problem there was some skill involved in what he did with it afterwards and you know but it was a really good example I stopped using it just because he'd used the SM57 if he'd used anything else I'd have gone great because there are other things he could have used that would have done just as good a job in a slightly different way but it really perpetuated to students that I was showing this to this idea that there was something magic about the SM57 and it's like, mm, but it sounds like you got unhelpful. bit by an SM57 when you were a child, or an SM57 shouted at you. i just had it you have an almost dogmatic me. hatred of them. No, no, I wouldn't go as far as that. I don't have a hatred of them. I. Um, it's I, not as bad as Kirsty Ulsoff then. Now that was a private conversation. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, she didn't come out of it public. well. <laughs> yeah, um, but it was. <laughs> But That's was
0: another a, thing we might get onto one day. I don't mean get onto Deal soap. I mean get onto the subject of Kirsty deal,
1: uh, um, So but, no, My my point, <laughs> bringing it back to the microphones, is uh, I mean SM57 <laughs> with the whole SM57 uh, SM7B thing. What I will say in defence of the SM57 is that it's it's a it's a sensible sized mic and for a sensible price, it is inexpensive and it's you know it's it's great. It's just that people, some people that I've spoken to and I've spoken to lots of people about this seem to give it this special status and I just don't believe it's any more special than several other equally good microphones which don't get the same attention and that in a nutshell is my position on it with the SM7 it sounds thing, like, you to, it,
0: it sounds like you, it's, it's almost like you you feel it's it, because of its
1: overstatement you're kind of kind of trying to balance the balance the scales here that's exactly what I'm trying to do and Underwriting the whole thing is, I have never said and will never say that the SM57 is a bad microphone. It's not a bad microphone.
0: Okay, I'm going to go back to Alan in a minute, but very quickly, two alternatives to an SM57 on snare. Same price. Now, you can't say a, a two grand ribbon, so don't forget as well, the SM57 you get for a $100, can't you? So, um, yeah, a bit less, Let's actually. put that into context as well. We are talking about a $100 mic, aren't we? One ninety £90 uh, yeah. if, if, if you live in Brexitville. Uh, is that about the English price for it these days? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah I just looked it up today. Alternatives yeah. at that kind of okay. I'll give you a bit of, a bit of leeway, but generally, what are the alternatives?
1: You I don't think you need snare? to things that I've used a lot in place of that. Um, uh, a e six hundred four. Um, on a stand so you can position it properly because on the clips you you kind of a is bit. Is that the restricted. pancake mic? It's
0: flat. Uh, it's like. Is E604 it like 604 There's a the it's little tip like the... on
1: one that get used. Loads little plastic ones that get used. Um, oh, I thought. You, what was that little? Live. What was loads? that one that Sennheiser
0: made? That like it been like a, it looked like a D12 that had been run over. Do you remember it was a gold one?
1: Uh, I thought you ah, no, the you're numbers. talking about, the, there's two, there's the 609, and the, no, no, sorry, that's, it's, I'm going to get my numbers wrong here. That's there's a, One's a 906 well, and the well, other is a... Uh, this
0: is what happens when you start
1: bad-mouthed in an SM57, you kind of tie yourself up in knots, mate. You know, uh, <laughs> it, okay, okay, there's two, and the gold one I think is a 906, possibly? Okay, right. Uh, I'm just going to check, it is a 906, yes it is. And there's another one that's slightly less expensive, that also is an extremely good one on snare. But the shape, you know, I don't know. But I'm going to go just with the 604, the little clip on bog standard live mic. If you take it off the clip and position it on a on a on a short boom stand, that works really nicely. But my 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 probably my. No, actually, I'm going to change that. Forget that. I've thought of a better one. It's one that I've got downstairs. You see, if
0: you had the than 57, you wouldn't have to do all this thinking. This is the problem you've got. Because thinking into. is
1: thinking's bad. Absolutely, it, it is be bad. Especially <laughs> you're recording. Let's fix it in the mix. Right. What's gonna <laughs> going to happen is I'm going to do my two. First one is is the mic I'm using right now. I'm going to use the Bayer M201, which I use on snare loads, and I really like it because it's nice and beefy in the sort of low mids, and that's good. A big fat snare drum works that's like a pencil well. Like the two O one. Yeah, so you but could, it is a dynamic like a pop shield for it. Uh, yeah, it's it. That's a great mic on snare. The other it's one, I'm a Ki- go- isn't it the Kim Jong Un mic? The two at one. We'll get onto that another day. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one, I'm, the other one I'm going to go with is I'm going to go with the Audio Technica ATM25, which sort of looks like ooh, a little okay. stubby little RE20, and that is okay. brilliant on snare. Uh, okay, guitar cab. Guitar cab. Um, ooh. Uh, e e the, those Senizer e, E906s are fantastic on guitar um, but I use md forty ones and 441s a lot as well and I've got a pair right. of Coles which are just great but that's a different thing Acoustic? Acoustic so I choose, use I'm, I'm
0: choosing the three applications that SM57s okay. get thrown a lot
1: I'd, I'd, I haven't I, I have used it on acoustic before and it suits a very sort of definitely in a sort of like a rock song kind of context it can sound quite nice Um but honestly for acoustics i'm usually going condenser to be honest which is kind so of i slightly rest
0: odd. the i rest the case for the defense here because you've you've taken 10 minutes to figure out what mic you put on which when i have just got an and 57 and thrown it on all three uh, one mic in the room you just you couldn't find one mic that would do every job in the same way
1: could you? I'm not gonna. I'm not going to say that the mic wouldn't be absolutely fine in all of those applications. It yeah. absolutely would be. Okay, back to. But Alan, I still would use what, it given the choice. What would Alan do instead <laughs> of an
0: SM7B in voiceover? Then
1: what's what would what would be your
0: alternative that that you trust in the same way that the SM7B is stuck into radio stations and voiceovers and ADR and all that?
2: Same as I'm recording this on uh, a Rode NT1A. I mean, it's a perfectly serviceable U87 clone and um and it works really really well um for i think i'm not sure exactly it's it's over 100 pounds but not a lot it's less than 200 Um, dollars isn't it which is still a lot cheaper than an sm7b but as a whole kit including boom arm shock mount pop shield so you get all those other really handy things thrown in as well um which is a great which is a boom for if you're having to suddenly spec out a whole bunch of extra mics because suddenly you are doing a group record session. Um, you know, the other way around that is to hire mics in. Um, and uh, but yeah, there are there are plenty of um, other alternatives by like AKG and Sennheiser as well. And you don't have to stick to a large diaphragm condenser either. But I don't think that dynamic mics have such a close voiced. Um, characteristic to it, and you yeah, know, you were saying about the the sheen, the sort of sheen that a U eighty seven gives to a, a, a dialogue, a vocal. It, yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but the the thing is, that sheen does really help with clarity for a start, because it does help with the HF frequencies, uh, which is a, a major issue when you're talking about clarity. Um, and also, I would far rather have a fuller bandwidth signal to play with in post than a limited bandwidth. Signal. No, just put some A-fix or exciter on it. That'll fix it. That'll give you the sheen, yeah. I'm sure that fix everything.
0: <laughs> no, but isn't it? But the truth is, isn't it going back to what I sort of wrote about on Saturday that in a sense, the voice doesn't, the spoken word does not sound like that. The vo- spoken word is such a narrow bandwidth of frequencies that's rolling off both top and bottom much sooner than most people think when they record it, especially when they mix them, then in a sense what we're listening to I, I, often, especially on like radio ads and stuff like that, that's the worst you hear it. Is it so overhyped and stuff? Like bottom end's pushed <laughs> well, up at the... 60 and the top end's
2: at 15. Stuff My dog starts have take jumping about You have to take a world view of this, though. So uh, to give me an example, when I uh, was doing a stint um, doing various reversioning at Disney down in Shepparton, and we yeah you know, we're mixing into uh, thirty different languages um films, and we yeah you know, we can 't possibly be fluent in all those languages anyway, so we're having to work on basic tenets of legibility and understandability and things like that. then we have obviously a review with a native speaking client. I did a sort of eastern Eastern European variety I think it might have been uh, Slovakian or Estonian um, and the, the dialogues that are coming on that were really really harsh to my ear um, so I spent ages with Fab Filter rounding them off making them feel smoother and all this sort of stuff client comes in for the view goes what the hell have you done to all the dialogue you do realize that part of our dialect is that sibilance and it's not just that that you know, the sibilance occurs in real life anyway. You can experience it with your own hearing. You don't need an electronic system to emphasize it. It's there, and it does affect clarity of a perception of clarity, especially when with with older people whose uh, HF hearing tails off as they get older. So it's it's a really important factor, and I think personally I think. There's two different trains of thought when it comes to post as well. You, there's some people say, "Well, you should bandwidth limit the dialogue to make it tuck in around all the other spectral elements that are going on around it." But that's generally the time when you start getting clarity issues coming up when you, when you haven't got that HF, when you haven't got that um, that sweetening of the dialogue sound um, to, to to compensate for the medium which you're you're viewing it on. So um, you know, no cinema speakers, no TV speakers, anything short of probably your keys has a flat frequency response up and way up into the HF. Mm. It all tails off, so you know you have to compensate for that. I suppose that's what I'm saying,
0: Al, is because if you think I'm looking at spectrum plots here of speech, and a male voice is tailing off at about one and a half k and really gone by 5K, and a female voice is tailing off at about 3K and gone by about 8K. So in a sense, all that top-end civility stuff isn't really there in the human voice. So what you're saying, in a sense, is, is that in post you guys have to over-hype it to cut through everything else.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there's you know, if you think about you know, lots, of, lots of scenes, they use high-frequency effects because they can actually convey an awful lot of power and audibly through those without tripping off well before the days of loudness meters without tripping off the the peak level too much or overloading compressors if you uh, also especially if you use a multiband as well so it's really complicated with getting dialogue to be cl- to, to be clear and, I, I, and that's and that's the other thing it's again we're coming back to sort of not so much overhyping the signal, but overhyping the capabilities of a certain microphone. So, you know, I used to get lambasted for not using a, a Sennheiser 416 for, to record ADR. But, you know, I managed to produce very good ADR, which was actually award winning, using entirely a U87 a slung over a, a heavy duty boom in the same configuration as a, a Sennheiser 416 would be, but without that bloody rear, rear, rear radiator picking up all the room boom, um, which happens if you're in a low-ceiling room or if you're indoors. So the thing is, not all mics are suitable for every situation. They're not suitable for every artist. And that's why I think this over this sort of um, prescribing of what mic people should go to first is really, I think I, I think it's doing us a disservice, really, as a as profession as well. It, it's not equipping us with independent thought and the adaptability, I think. Which I think is your uh, argument, others. Julian, isn't it, about this?
1: Um, it, it is. I'm, I... I'm just naturally very skeptical of, of consensus that doesn't seem sort of backed up by something really convincing. And, and that's what it is, is making me examine it so closely. It's just the fact that there seems to be this, this perception by some people that it's, it's the way to do it. And it's, i just naturally, I'm going to go, is it really? Right, then, I think we'll leave it there. If you've
0: got an opinion, I'm sure you have on this, then leave it in the comments, uh, email Julian with hate mail. I'm going Uh, to be
1: living under an assumed identity somewhere in South America with, you know, dark glasses and, you know. Yeah, anyway, uh, we're going to move on to competitions.
0: (laughs) Okay,
2: competitions. To help celebrate their shiny new website and the release of six new music production and post-production bundles, Our friends at Nugent Audio are offering you the chance to win either a Nugent Producer Bundle for worth $499 or a Nugent Post Bundle worth $899. Choose which prize you would like to win and enter the competition on the link in the podcast notes.
0: Well, if shit hitting the fan wasn't uh, one (laughs) time this week, uh, wasn't enough, (laughs) then Alan decided he'd... He'd open a serious can of worms on the site with why the future of real-time audio processing could be in graphics cards. Now, I know we this had been talked about several times before, but Alan, uh, uh, over to you. You did. You, I don't know if you knew what you were doing when you le- unleashed this on the on the world, but uh, it, it's one of our most red. Well, it, has, it was our most read story last week, and it seems that people have very strong
2: opinions, Alan. <laughs> well that's great because i was all out for getting opinions in i mean that's the thing it's um i I certainly wasn't expecting the spanish inquisition yeah inquisition really no one expects the spanish inquisition
0: certainly didn't expect somebody to accuse you of
2: clickbait who can't spell it
0: (laughs) 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 what's a jeep what's a jeep wangler is that like a jeep wrangler Anyway, but uh, it wasn't. It, well, let's be assured that we don't write clickbait for those who think we do. We haven't got time to write clickbait. We haven't got time to write the real stuff sometimes. So Alan had thoroughly worked on this and spent time. So uh, I thought that was an unfair uh, shout at you. But generally, yeah, it was equally well, strong opinions from both sides. And you've made well, some absolutely. friends and enemies in the, in the same week, haven't you?
2: Well, possibly. I mean, you know, okay, no the opening sentence saying that proprietary DSP is dead probably didn't go down too well with some of the manufacturers of proprietary DSP. But, you know, that's the, <laughs> we, we have to face facts. As we were chatting about some other time, everybody's short of money. And that includes the developers. And, you know, in the same way as, you know, many years ago I had a, a, a Mazda MX-5. Uh, and my boss at the time had a an Aston Martin DV7. And there was a palpable tension when he discovered that most of the switch gear and the door handles were exactly the same on my car. Now, it, it's that sort of thing. It's using an off-the-shelf piece of kit and adapting your workflow and adapting the coding techniques to actually deliver this sort of performance to People who would not have been able to afford it or not even have been able to, you know, access a developer who's got access to that range of computing power. And to me, it does seem like there's, there's a lot on offer there. And I think it needs, personally, I think it needs more investigation. But then also at the end of the uh, article, I did actually say, do you think that? manufacturers should continue looking at hardware solutions at all should they be concentrating on getting in the box working better and faster uh you know so to give you an example that you know what personas can achieve with studio uh studio one um and their own interfaces using a an off-the-shelf thunderbolt connection um you know just taking a full advantage of what's in the computer so I think, you know, which do we want them to concentrate on? Because I think they've got finite resources. And you can either, you know, request that they chase off down this very expensive time-limited route, which is DSP. Which or, is always, always inevitably proprietary. Yeah, absolutely. And so you get into this other thing of, you know, that the, 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 the DSP makers are protecting then the software that they're writing, they're proprietary writing the code in those proprietary chips for. So, you know, you don't get the chance that, you know, he- if, heaven forbid, Pro Tools disappeared tomorrow, you wouldn't be able to use that expensive DSP that works with it only and works only with it with anything else.
0: So I'm guessing, without putting the cat among the pigeons too much, and this is no reflection on any of our fantastic partners, that there's a vested interest from certain brands to keep this discussion as negative as possible. Uh, because they've got they've got proprietary products that they want to sell.
2: I would hesitate. I'm not accusing to... anybody of
0: anything. I'm just saying that yeah,
2: they but they invested interested
0: that... in their proprietary hardware.
2: Yeah, well, they've made you know, in the case of proprietary DSP, they've made a huge investment both in time and money to develop it. Uh, it takes an awful lot of brain power to develop custom silicon. That's just a fact, and then that 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 enhanced brain power costs an awful lot of money um, so because not everybody can get their heads around it not everyone can get their heads around uh, working out God knows how you know what where to send God you know to God knows how many CPUs at the right time in the right sequence it's it's a it's an acquired skill which costs a lot of money. I'm going to bring Julian in, in a second,
0: but just, just 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 in a nutshell, explain what how this technology theoretically works. Basically, if you want more power, you just add more video cards to your system. Is that the basic gist of this,
2: this well, the theory? Basic, the, the basic gist is to stop looking at GPUs as graphics cards. Um, you should look at them as more of a system accelerator. So... My point was, it doesn't matter what the accelerator actually is or what it was the original purpose was for. So early AMS, Neve, files, DAW systems and mixing desks uh, used the same transputer chips, which in a lot of ways are very similar to a GPU in that they're throwing a lot of cores simultaneously at the same path and uh, processing, and doing parallel processing in order to get the speed and the latency. Um, You know... This isn't a new idea, um, and, it's, and the, the idea of using a chip that wasn't primarily designed for the purpose you're using it for isn't new either, uh, using something off the shelf. I mean, admittedly, the AMS Neve file did use the same mis- uh, chips from cruise missiles, which so you can't exactly call it off the shelf, but it, it's, you can certainly say it wasn't designed for the purpose of... I thought of it used RISC architecture... It originally used the transputers, um, and then it changed, and I think it's changed again. I I haven't seen the back end of a DFC for a long time, so um, I can't really comment on that, on a recent system anyway. Um, But ARM processors are the big thing thing now, aren't they? Aren't aren't, ARM the kind of new hero computing? Well, well, this is the other thing. The reason why we need accelerators more is that the base units of computing the CPUs are all being subtly scaled back for power consumption heat consum- you know heat pro- pro- production and stuff like that so what you're finding is that the, the 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 core specifications of desktop computers and laptops are are staying fairly still at the moment and where all the development is now coming is in the GPUs and such like that so you know you can throw other tasks at it. It's not just the, the the processes that are in there as well. You can throw things that need memory at it. So, um, for instance, on my laptop test, um, there was less, significantly less, Pro Tools system RAM usage on my laptop than there is on my desktop. They've got the same same amount of system RAM, but the laptop's graphics card's got three times the memory, and that made as a, you know, about a third difference in the amount of memory that um, on the system that Pro Tools is using so it gives it that much more bandwidth and things motor on smoothly so you can just look at those cards as being just you know uh, a turbo unit you know a, a nitrous injection whatever you know that sort of thing and i think if um if the manufacturers of all the daws that we know and love Continue to push down the the proprietary DSP route. I think it could be their undoing, and I would rather they looked into using off the shelf solutions, and also tuning their software to take full advantage of the onboard gubbins that you've got there already. Julian,
1: ah, uh, yeah, I mean this is this seems strangely familiar to me because it was making me think about um, a good friend of mine uh, who back in the early nineties was working on back in the day yeah yeah working on parallel processing with transputers um uh he did some kind of placement with a mining company um and it was the it was the future transputers parallel processing neural nets all that kind of stuff and uh, this was you know however long ago that was a long time ago and it kind of hasn't really happened that way and i'm going right off the edge of my of my knowledge so if i'm if I'm about to say something that's kind of not strictly accurate, you know, it's probably going to happen. But. Well, you've already done that tonight. You know. Know.
0: <laughs> it's all but, up for grabs now, isn't it? But
1: the. Uh, but I. Some. Only some tasks are kind of like really suitable for parallel processing. Um, I know that's, that's a thing. Exactly which tasks they are, I'm not really qualified to say. Um, and. Um, uh, basically, I mean, if. If this was some kind of uh, highly parallelised processing were some kind of sort of you know golden bullet, then I'm kind of confused as to why it hasn't um, taken off uh, better than it has. Just And I can't help thinking there's some kind of issue around writing. I mean, it might be that everything isn't really working on that kind of architecture, and the, and the shift to move what we're doing at the moment onto some kind of fundamentally different architecture might just be just too much too much work for it to really take off uh, the the other thing that um, that strikes me about this is uh, I had an interesting chat with Michael Carnes who does know what he's talking about um, mm. about uh, if you remember a few weeks ago we were talking about FPGA and yeah. the, the Kind of like, why weren't more people maybe using that? Because it seemed to sound interesting at the time. I'd been, I'd been struck by there's a synth that was kind of being prototyped and sort of generally um, uh, shown around uh, industry things. That's been picked up by Waldorf. Um, I forget the name exactly, but it's FPGA based. And I didn't know you could do that. I knew you could use FPGA for things like uh things like mixing consoles. A lot of those were on FPGA. And of course things like the low latency path on HDX and stuff, that's FPGA as well. Hmm. But um uh Michael had some had some experience of this and uh, and he was saying something that cropped up in the discussion about this actually, um, I think again from Michael about um the uh what um different hardware is suitable for in terms of the kind of length of the, the the size of the chunks of processing it tries to do and the effect that has on latency and um it seems like both FPGA and possibly these don't lend themselves naturally to low latency operation which in considering what we're trying to use them for sounds pretty significant to me
0: but is, isn't that just? But isn't that? But but isn't that? Hmm. Uh, Paul Nyrink jumped in as well, which was obviously two very smart guys that I've got a huge amount of yeah. respect for. But latency is only half the story. Latency is about when you record. Is it? Uh, uh, but it's not about playback. And and Studio One, for example, now has a different playback. And in fact, Pro Tools does. They have a different playback engine to record engine. So sh- surely, if that can be implemented. In that way, then surely it can then be implemented in, into this situation where you control your playback processing to the GPU, if it doesn't depend on the latencies, because its latencies are relevant, well not irrelevant, but less relevant at, at that point.
2: Yeah, and it can be yeah compensated for with buffers or what what have you. I, I, it's I I just think yeah I, I I think that the there's there's an opportunity here I think to explore it. Um, I think. If you look at the, the base specification of one of these accelerators, then possibly you could say, yeah, that's not good for this application or what have you, if you're just looking at the specs. But the same as if you were buying a bog-standard Ford Fiesta, uh, you could look at the specs at that and go, I could never take that rallying. But actually, leave it for half an hour, with, you know, leave it for a couple of days with my mate Steve down the road, and uh, yeah, no problem be able to do that once it's been tweaked and once the full potential has been screamed out of it. And I think that's the potential. Judging by some of the development we're hearing about, again, in the comments section of that article, um, I think, you know, I I don't want to be overly optimistic, but I think it's an avenue worth exploring further, really, especially, as as you say, in the field of... um, of, uh, re- of mixing and yeah, re-recording and such like that. Well,
1: this is something that we've spoken about before, about the idea of having some kind of uh, um, modular processing unit that you can build a system of the appropriate power out of just by chucking more units into it. And this, if, if this were a viable way of doing things, it does sound like a, a, an ideal way of being able to um, build this, a system with the power that you need... Um, in fairly kind of like uh, <laughs> fairly accurate increments, if you see what I mean. So uh, rather than mm. just kind of like you know, do I want an HDX one, two, or three? You know, and this is, these are kind of like big chunks of processing you're throwing in. Um, uh, having something maybe a little finer and a little lower unit cost would be attractive. Of just kind of like, okay, I think I'm starting to outgrow my system. I'll chuck a couple more of these cards in for potentially not a huge amount of money and get the appropriate amount of extra
2: power that I need for the work that I'm doing. So, maybe. But also in the march of technology, I mean, so um, the graphics card that's in my Plan B machine is exponentially more powerful than um, the graphics card that's in my main Windows system. Uh, three years apart and £100 less. Well, for the new so, so yeah.
1: Moore's law and Moore's law happens with graphics cards in ways that it doesn't with
2: low volume um, uh, exactly yeah, because exactly. they're, they're mass produced off the shelf and they've got a continuing development because they're having to keep up with the very demanding markets which are driverless cars, medical applications, um, all sorts. It's it's not just it's not just people playing. Call of Duty that are driving the development of GPUs. It's all manner of other things.
0: Right, let's move on. Uh, sorry if it sounded like I dropped off. Then uh, everybody right. listening to the show, if you have, we apologise. But uh, it's uh, it's hot in my office, and I can't turn my aircon on. Otherwise, you'd hear a rushing wind sound <laughs> from my aircon as I was talking oh, into my mic. Con. And I'm not talking about the dog line next to me, who <laughs> when he makes a rushing wind sound uh, can clear a room. Uh, I would take him on a riot and use him instead of tear gas. Because when he drops one, the world notices. And anyway, I've uh, got no feedback from the community this week. Obviously, they've all got their mic levels right. Uh, let's see what I did there. Questions from the community are sponsored by RSPE Audio.
2: The Pro Tools Expert Community Feedback is brought to you with the kind support of RSPE Audio Solutions. Great people and great prices.
1: RSPE is proud to announce the new ASC Nano Attack Wall. It's a mini version of the ASC Attack Wall, which takes all of the acoustic benefits of its bigger brother and shrinks them down to fit on your desktop. Get a reliable, repeatable, and accurate sonic space that's extremely portable so you can take it with you when you move or work in another studio. Learn more at the RSPE website at the link in the show notes. Ray John Tagayon,
0: I hope I got that right. Uh, Hi, our studio just finished mixing an Atmos project for for a client. The MXF is set to be checked by Dolby, and once approved, we'll be doing deliverables, including DCP, as well as an MP4 file with the Atmos sound. I did some research and asked Dolby about it, and for the MP4, they recommend we use the Avid Atmos Production Suite, Dolby Media Producer Suite, and Dolby Media Generator. I'd like to consult if we're going to do this, in your opinion, if going to do this is correct. Once the MXF has been approved, I assume this can be passed through the Atmos production suite plugin in Pro Tools. And from this, we can then create an Atmos file set according to our Dolby Contact. The file set can then be ingested to Dolby Media Producer to acquire Dolby Digital Plus files for muxing into MP4 using Dolby Media, Media Generator. Uh, Alan. Uh, it, you make it sound so easy. Uh, no, um, actually, actually I've, I felt I've, I've, the, the question is enough for me. Uh, I've, I've uh, sure, I hope the answer's easier than the question was to read out.
2: Uh, wow. It's not really, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and this is an area I've been sort of um, hacking around with quite a lot recently um, because I've been searching for a way to um, embed Dolby Atmos mixes into a more portable video format to be able to send to clients for a remote review. Um, now, and there's, there are a, a number of ways to skin this cat. Um, and as far as I can tell so far, there's no one that is prescribed by everybody as being the, the magic bullet. Um, the, you're you're right in that uh, you can use the media producer suite and media generator, um, which is uh, you also get the uh, at, yeah the, at the Avid slash Dolby Atmos production suite um, to transcode effectively your Atmos master to uh, Dolby, enhanced Dolby Digital. Um, which can then be married up using a variety of different types of software and different brands, depending whether you're using a Mac or a PC. Um, I'll leave a link to a thing called FF Works, which is not from the past show. Um, to, Doesn't uh, sound the very helpful if it's FFWorks. For this purpose. But uh, I... I, I so far, personally, have not managed to achieve success in this process. But um, if you're working closely with Dolby, uh, they are generally very, very helpful and they'll do everything they can to help achieve your um to achieve your aims because at the end of the day it's in their own interests anyway the more people that are exposed to Dolby Atmos the better so go and milk them for all their worth and get all the support you can from them because they are the people that will really know what you need to do
0: Keith Morrison Hi all, interesting discussion last week about speaker calibration software specifically Sonarworks as a user I understand the benefit but also the small niggles about system wide I'm also interested in your thoughts on the Genelec SAM system uh, Genelec Sam system. Obviously, users of this are tied to a specific speaker manufacturer. But I wonder what your thoughts are were on the system itself. Assuming you've used it, as I rarely hear it mentioned. Uh, There's quite a hot topic because of an article they've recently done in Resolution Magazine. Alan, you've, you you were, weren't you at the Sam launch?
2: I was at the launch of um, their latest. Uh, models um the ones they call the ones uh which are the 8331 8341 and 8351 that was the one and only Ooh, anyway um but the yeah and to be to be fair the technology in those speakers is absolutely mind blowing anyway um but yeah the i'm i've been thoroughly impressed by the results i've been hearing with, with sam systems um I'm getting a pair of the eighty-three thirty ones and the forty ones in uh, to have a have a play with because I've got some quite challenging environments for them to go into to see how the the Sam system covers. I mean, I'm possibly one of the worst people to talk to about Trino, Trinov because um, I personally I wasn't hugely impressed. I've heard better results from other systems, and I think the reason for that is that an inbuilt or um, uh, Manufacturer locked solution is always going to be better because it knows what speaker units it's dealing with. So it, there's there's no point in you know feeding you know feeding a whole lot more bass into a signal chain uh, to to get around a bass drop um, if the destination loudspeaker can't handle it, uh, and, and it maybe is in a position where it, you know, it could be better placed as well. So. I mean, this is the uh, the reason why manufacturers like Sonarworks have different profiles for their headphone correction software as well. So you can actually put in which headphones you're using, and then it will correct accordingly to that. So I think, yeah, um, keep your eyes peeled for an upcoming review of those um, those speakers. Uh, I think the reason why you don't hear much about them is that the Sam option is quite expensive. It is quite a premium feature, which you only find on the on the upper models of JBLs. I have to say, I heard them in somebody's studio who had a small pair
0: and a big pair, and I was unimpressed. But it mm-hmm. could have been just... It, to be honest, they were definitely loud. My ears were bleeding when I left the control room. So, uh, and generally, Gen I don't X think do anything... too loud
2: well, but, yeah, yeah i, I, I give to, to be
0: honest, I don't <laughs> think anything sounds good loud, generally. Yeah. Uh, this is a
2: Harley-Davidson. I mean, like is a very Marmite, Marmite brand. Uh, it, it, that's the thing. There, there are so many people who... Absolutely hate it, and there are other people, like myself, I'm very, very fond of it. Um, uh, I've always had great times with Genlex, Um but uh, other people's experiences may vary, as the, as the disclaimers go.
1: Bob durkak has been in touch. Hi, firstly, thanks very much for the marvellous site. Could you please remind me of an efficient technique to separate individual cuts from a longer stereo file? I've several old-school CD libraries of sounds that contain a multitude of tracks, each of which has a variety of contiguous audio selections within. I've been importing a stereo track in Pro Tools, stripping silence and then saving each individual track as needed, but surely there's a quicker way to accomplish this task. Uh, Well, Russ, what do you think? Bob? you're halfway
0: there. I think the strip silence idea is quite cool, actually, because as long as you don't set it too sensitively, then the gaps between each song would be perfectly matched And you could use the uh, the time, the minimum time between start and end points in strip silence to make sure it didn't, let's say, in the middle of a song, a a tom dropped for three seconds and then the band came back in. So there are ways around. So using strip silence is quite a smart way of chopping it all up. Uh, But then all you have to do is press Command A on that track to mark up all the audio you've got left, which should be the tracks. And then if you go to your clip list, you'll see them all marked, highlighted, all those clips. And then you can export those in one go uh, uh, to uh, to a folder of your choice. That would be the that would be the bit I would do to automate the process fully. But I think strip silence is probably a smart move you've been doing. But actually saving them all is where you're going. Don't you don't have to go one at a time. You can mark them all up and just export them all in one go uh, from the timeline and from the clip list. Uh, and I think clip list does it allow you, Julian, when you send it back out from the clip list to rename them? Uh or is it no it doesn't, does it? So you would have to rename each track before or you could re, or you could rename it once it's out of the clip list, but it's entirely up to you, which is the quicker way of renaming them. Uh probably uh once they're out in the uh in the folder uh, of your computer. Any other thoughts on that? I think that would be my chosen methodology.
2: Yeah, if they're, if it's if it if it's um you know one long track with silence in between recordings, then, uh, yeah, certainly I think it should, um, that, 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 I think he's got the best workflow with just stripping silence there. Definitely. Good.
0: Uh, let's move on. Greg Giorgio. Great name. Hey guys. I love the show. We love you too, Greg. I've been listening for a couple of years now and I never miss an episode. Thank you, Greg. That's more than can be said for most of the team. I'm a professional engineer and I've been working full time for 18 years and I really know my way around this stuff. However, there's one thing I've never been able to figure out and I've not really heard it mentioned anywhere else. I mix in this way, track, tracks through orgs drum bus, bass bus, guitar bus, school bus. He didn't put that in the question. I just thought I'd put that one in. Then the, the, those orgs is through a master orgs with a bunch of processing, comp, EQ, limiters, etc. Then the master orgs prints to the tracks in Pro Tools. This allows me to hear my new mix when it's on input and my old mix when it's not on input. It's awesome and I don't want to work any, any other way. However, input sounds slightly differently than the printed track. It always has I've been doing this for many years on many different systems, starting from Pro Tools 6.9. I've used LE, TDM, Native, Mac, Windows. The result is always the same. Input sounds different. Different how? It's more nasal. or has a much rougher texture. I can't really tell. But I can close my eyes and toggle back and forth 15 or 20 times and still pick uh, input 100% of the time. I haven't had other engineers over who can do the same. Here's what gets really strange. I can print a track of 1K test tone and put it beside my track on input, reverse the phase, and it will null. So you'd think it would be a non-issue. But my ears tell me something is different. And I can pick it out 100% of the time, whether I'm at home in my Windows Homebrew with HD native, or on my Mac in the studio with a full HD rig headphones or speakers, I can tell the difference. My theory is that when I flip the phase to test it, the difference is buried in the noise floor. I think it's 0.2 dB difference, but if you want to test it, you don't even need a mix. You can import a mix track from a CD, send it through an aux to a stereo jack. And copy the imported track there as well. That way, you can do an AB with, with input monitoring, they will sound slightly different. Why does it matter? Well, besides my mixes, if everything uh, we hear on input sounds different from what's being recorded, then we'll be at a slight disadvantage when we get the sound. It's not a huge deal, and I've been working like this for years, but man, I keep waiting for Avi to fix it, or even my, by mistake. That's it for now. Any thoughts? Guys, any thoughts?
1: I'm confused by this just because the nulling thing. Because the, f- the first thing I say is try a null test, and if it's nulling,
2: then yeah. But there's a big difference between nulling a uh, 1K sine wave and uh, a cross spectral signal. Yeah, but sure. I mean, it's, um, it's whether
1: well, one's dynamic and one isn't. That's a big, I do
0: have uh, a th- I, ha- I do have a thought that on. that null test would work if the difference is hearing happens at the master bus. I, because the I, nulling is only nulling yeah. versus he's v- nulling a track. So basically any tr- any tests he's doing are before the output stage of Pro Tools. Agreed? Mm. So the only place this difference can be occurring is beyond, either beyond any of the buses he's created or beyond anything that that null test and the thing are passing through. So it sounds like it's not an input problem, Or an input difference, but an output difference, that it sounds slightly different at the output stage, depending on record and playback. That's the only way you can explain that the null test works.
2: I don't think he needs the master aux. He needs a master fader with all that processing on it, and then he should pick up the input to the record track from the uh, master bus that he's sending it all to, which has the master fader. Yeah, but it? Is, it
1: wouldn't be using that. I think he's going to get orcs, more consistent results. Wouldn't be using that aux so that his um, uh, so that he's, because of the inserts thing for pre or post fader. That's why I imagine he's doing that.
0: But are we agreeing no, that, that, the basically... null, that if the null test is working, then it has to be something beyond the null test that's causing the issue? It has to be. Doesn't it? it he does be before the null test.
1: Does he give a definitive answer of what he's using? Because he says he's u- what he's using in the past. Does he say what he's using? No, he now? says
0: it doesn't matter what he uses. He says it's always the same issue. He's used LE, TDM, native, Mac, Windows. Well, that's
1: entirely different if it's because I mean if it's if it's happening in LE and TDM, then they're totally different mixer engines. So
2: hmm. I'm I'm a bit confused there. Is he? No, because if he's been doing finding this since six nine they did not have floating points or does either. he just have an amazing party
0: trick where he can identify what he thinks is the, the right one each
1: time? Well the other question's going to be um he he needs to try this double blind so that somebody is is changing for him and the person who's doing the changing doesn't know which is which either because that's the only way that's kind of like scientifically rigorous and doesn't he he needs more than two as well doesn't he um, there's there's set ways of doing this stuff to eliminate bias and it that's that that sounds easier to do than to really go through and find out what's going on because you know, I'm I'm sure I'm sure he is getting it right, but there's a question about why is he getting it right. No, um, but if you put a third in, then you that definitely
0: means that you can't be hundred percent accurate by guessing it, that he knows it's not a bias issue, doesn't it? If you have two tracks that are recorded and one that's the input and then somebody switches between the three of those tracks rather than just two tracks, mm. then his probability of getting it right just by guessing greatly diminishes if it's just a guess.
1: Sure. But still, if he does it double blind, properly double blind, then, you know... Is that two can't... handkerchiefs? <laughs> Explain
0: a double-blind test. So, so he can double, go in. Double-blind
1: do is um, uh, a blind test is when is when uh, um, uh, you're not the person changing it. I mean, if we sit there and we just kind of change it, and we know what which one we're listening to, we can infer. You know, r- without being in any way dishonest, but we can totally infer something that isn't necessarily there. Double so you need somebody to do the changing for you to play it to you, and you're sat with your eyes closed and saying this one or that one or this one or and like that and doing the change for you. Double blind is when the person who's doing the switching doesn't know which is which either, because they can communicate unknowingly. They can communicate something Mm -hmm. to you. Do you say, do you like that one or do you like this one? You know, and that can carry some. Bias and influence the person who's, who's being tested. Didn't Nugen make a plugin that did this? They did. I'm trying to remember what it was called.
0: <laughs> we will put it in the notes. But there is a plugin from Nugen that basically does double blind tests for you, doesn't it?
1: Um, it does. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It takes away and it, it, it removes you from knowing how that stuff works. So, yeah, definitely, that's an easy way to do it. Yeah, we should have a look up and see what that is because uh, yeah, that's a useful thing.
0: Good. Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now
2: for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you'll know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. And even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN-equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser with no software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. Uh, It's time
0: for Find of the Week. Uh, These are sponsored by UJAM. UJAM
2: Instruments
1: plugins are your studio companions always on call when you want to ride play and record tracks take seat in the producer's chair and tell your player what you need this means a maximum of musical and sonic integrity and versatility and a minimum of your precious energy required to get there discover our virtual instruments at ujam.com
0: so al what's your find of the
2: week uh, this week that people can benefit well, from? Well, it's more of a reminder of the week for me, actually. It's to make sure that my everything I use, is software-wise, is up to date. Because um, especially if you have to deliver to tight technical specifications um, or if you're even facing some challenging material. So uh, I was getting some discrepancies with some mixes I was sending out. We None of us could work out what was going on. Uh, It all seemed to tally between various different uh, loudness software I was using to measure with. So we couldn't work out whether this discrepancy was happening. And uh, a bit like our previous um, inquiry, I I was convinced that something was happening to my mix after I'd sent it to the client. Um, Then I just happened upon a tweet by one of the manufacturers saying, we just updated this and it's fixed X, Y and Z none of which were the things I was having an issue with. So went and updated that. In doing that, realized that was the cause of my discrepancy, uh, but then realized that all the other plugins needed updating as well because they were all up to date and they were performing the same discrepancy as well. So it's a reminder of the week. Make sure everything you're using is up to date and as you know, before you start accusing other people of tampering your mix or doing anything like that. Nice, Julian. What's your find of the week? <laughs> Mine was uh, this weekend. I was reunited
1: with uh, a Casio MT forty five little keyboard that uh, I bought as an eleven year old in nineteen eighty two, mm. and uh, it was uh, it was basically the thing that got me into. Everything that I've done subsequently, really, I I became. I made a band with my mate who lived around the corner, who was a who actually even then was an extremely good drummer, and that kind of got me into playing in bands, which got me into everything that followed since. And I hadn't seen it in several decades, but it turned up in. uh, I gave it to a friend of mine's son, um, who is now in his thirties, but it turned up in uh, in. in his loft and he got in touch and said do you want this and I said yes I absolutely do although I did I, I did uh think about it and uh if I'd if I'd known then that I really should have got the MT40 because that was the one that had the rock and roll rhythm that was used in slang teng which is a, a big kind of like reggae dancehall hit in the mid 80s and that's a bit of a classic whereas my one I looked up on eBay it's worth about a tenner which probably means I wouldn't sell it not that I'd sell it anyway, because I haven't seen it for many, many years. But yeah, there we go. Um, uh, it's not a classic, but it's valuable to me.
2: It's, of course, high on the reviews. I'll just be looking it up. Have you? Okay. Yeah. Well, I
1: shall sure have to do something with it. But yes, I, I squeezed every little bit of functionality out of that thing, including the, the secret rhythm that you can get if you put the selector thing halfway, just past halfway down. And you can get another rhythm that w- wasn't documented.
0: Oh,
1: secret rhythm! Oh yes, yes, yes! <laughs> oh, <secret> rhythm! <laughs> anyway, anyway, I'm sure there's a video tutorial in that somewhere. Wasn't <laughs> the guy who did da 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 in MT45? No, no, it? no. That was a VL1. That was the tiny little handheld thing. Da da da. So yeah. you're
0: getting all the '80s classics from Russ being sung at the end of the show? <laughs> don't say so you don't get your money's worth from this show. Russ, here what is your find of the week? Well, strangely enough, and 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 coming all the way full circle, uh, in, in doing a little bit of research for tonight's show, I, I discovered the Sure blog, and it's really, really good. Uh, lots of different topics, and just go and check it out. It's got everything on broadcast and live, and microphones for journalists and house of worship and listening, and it, 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 it's really cool. It's it's just – it's it's really – a lot of brand blogs are pretty crap if I'm blunt with you. They kind of try and – half half-assed attempt to try and sell to you. But they, but there's a lot of great information on the blog from from sure, and they're not even partners of ours. So I'm not saying this because they've paid us to say. I just think it's a really well-written blog.
1: Actually, and I've uh, been on that, and they do a thing – I think it's them who do a thing called whiteboard sessions. And okay. I was looking up some stuff because I'm incredibly confused about what's going on with wireless – Mics. I've not really been in. That's not really been part of my world since it's all changed in the UK Mm. since they sold off all the bandwidth and everyone's had to change and whatever. Great explanation. Really. And at the end of
0: this show, just talking about whiteboards to get my life organised. A few weeks ago. I decided to get a whiteboard to put in my studio because all the technology wasn't helping me. So I put the whiteboard up and thought, this is where I really smash it. And five minutes into writing up the whiteboard, realised I was using
1: a Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first person to have done that. Yeah, the idiot's guy too. <laughs> so they're tasks that will never be
0: completed according to my work. No, I managed to get it off using my wife's nail varnish remover. Uh, which I haven't told her I've used yet, but she'll hear it on this show. But anyway, with that confession, it's good night from me. It's good night
1: from me. And it's good night from me.
0: Good night.